Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. As you might have heard, the United States uh, held an election recently, and Graham McMillan and myself are here to take the first hour of the two-hour episode to process, stagger about, and blab before uh, moving on to discuss the strange comic book companion on the Hawaiian cruise I recently undertook, Superpowers by Tom Scioli, the third issue of Doom Patrol, pop music biographies, the Flintstones, the mystery of Goblin's Lair, and much, much more. Show notes are at waitwhatpodcast.com. Please leave us comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and we thank you for listening. Hello there, Graham McMillan. Hello! Jeff Lester, it's been a while. Hasn't it? My God, it feels like it's been a crazily long time. What's really funny is, for people listening, it's been like the regular break. But because of the way we recorded the last few episodes, it's been like a month, right? Really close to a month, if not if not an actual month. Which is just nuts. Yeah. I mean, it's genuinely nuts. Uh, I think that's the longest break we've ever had since we started doing the podcast. Do you think? I, you know, that's probably it's, at least the other we're time. The only other time I think it could be as long is when we before we started like doing it at WaitWhatPodcast.com. Yes. Like when we went from Savage Critic to, to here. Because mm-hmm. that was definitely... See, here's the thing. That was definitely like a month off from podcasting, but we talked during that. Yeah. And we didn't uh, this time because you were on a cruise. That's right. So this genuinely might be the longest we've gone without talking. Yeah, at least for for like four or five years, I think. Because cause yeah. definitely, you know, our first dozen or two dozen episodes was like, you know, whenever we'd get around to talking, which was like, you know, every other month or something like that. So, and then we just break them into 58 segments or something. So, <laughs> Secrets behind the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Oh man, yeah, it's 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 really funny. Uh, the break means part of me has forgotten how to do the podcast. I know. What you For mean. example, yeah. she's called now. Hello there. I supposed to do Jeff last. Time. I know. I was like, <laughs> okay. like I've forgotten. I've forgotten how to do it. <laughs> it's true, Graham. It's she's true. Not like riding a bike. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know, I know. It it really is one of those, maybe maybe for those kids who started podcasting at like three or something, it's very natural, <laughs> you know? But, but... I, here's the thing, I know you're exaggerating, but now I really want there to have been like someone who started podcasting when they were, you know, three. Don't you think there's probably somebody who like started off like interviewing his kid or her kid and, you know, it's been like five years or something and now the kid's like eight. And is so totally like over it or else, you know, just, you know, is way too into it, like has all like sound boards and things like that. And that's just it. Like, but, but would they be podcasting? Because it strikes me they would be doing like YouTube right. videos. That's true. That's true. Pod, podcasting is for a certain. um Olds. Yeah, the olds. A certain level of shameful shamelessness. Not the kind of shameless shamelessness that you really need to succeed in today's <laughs> fast paced like, culture. You don't want to be in video. Yeah. Oh god no. Are you kidding? Like you shy away like a, an old school vampire anytime anyone breaks out a camera, pretty much. So. Jeff, I know what I look like, okay? 
No one else needs to. Crab, you are this. absolutely what? charming. That, that, you that, you yeah, uh, completely uh, radiate uh, charisma. Uh, oh man, uh, I know everyone uh, will fucking agree with me on this. Uh, you know, stop. 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 Actually, you know, this is, this is really funny. I was, I was thinking of my own very marked lack of charisma this week. Um, yeah, well, because there was a couple of situations and the, the main one was, um, uh, so when I come home, you know, now that I'm like Johnny on the spot, which is is a portable toilet, but I'm, what I'm trying to say is now I'm (laughs) Mr. Manager. Slash oh, Johnny just, on the spot. Just uh, stop for two seconds, Jeff. Because you said portable toilet. I told you about the fact that we've had a portable toilet outside the house for the entirety of the basement project, which at this point is like since July. But someone has graffitied Goblin's Lair on it. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone in the neighborhood calls our, our porta potty out the front. Goblin's Lair, which is the greatest thing. Anyway, back to Johnny on the spot. That is the best. Anyway, I yes, me, Mr. Manager, I... Uh, I walk walk the same route now five days a week, which for a long time it was just three days a week and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, all of which is to say there is a woman outside the BART station who sells flowers. And every Friday I buy flowers for my wife and I bring them home and give them to her. And so this woman and I know each other and she was always like, oh, hey, how are you? Da, 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 da. So I'm on vacation for like three weeks, right? And... Um, I, well, three weeks, it's, it's two and a half weeks. So I start going Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday, something happens. So I, I, oh, I had right to comics experience. So I don't take Bart home Friday night though. No, it's Wednesday night, Wednesday night, first day of work. I come up, I'm uh, out of Bart and she and I all, all but bump into each other. And there's this amazing moment where we're both like, oh, Hello, like this complete like, oh, I completely forgot you existed, but I'm so happy to see you again kind of thing. And it was very mutual. It was really funny, you know? Yeah, that's it's funny when that happens. There's uh, you you know, the place here, the the place that does the pizzas just down the road from my house. Mm -hmm. Um, So they've changed their hours. They're no longer open in the evenings at all, Uh which means I rarely go in it because Strangely enough, I work during the day. Yes. Um, but I was there last week, I think, or maybe the week before, uh, to pick up some breakfast. Cause I basically, I was like, I'm gonna, fuck it, I'm gonna get pastries. Um, and it was one of the people who I used to see all the time when I'd go and get pizzas. And we had the same reaction. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, I, you know, I would lay money. She had not even vaguely thought of me since the last time I was in there buying pizzas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And like, I, you know, I, I, I would be lying if I was like, I wonder what's ever happened to her right. who used to sell me pizzas. Um, but we saw each other and we were both like, oh, like we're old friends, you know? Yeah. Well, because there is. There is. It's amazing that it's, strange it's that of, sense of familiarity. Of, yeah. It's, it's familiarity, but strange delight. And somehow that delight is added to by the fact that you literally had forgotten that person ever existed. It's, it's, uh, it's a little, it's a little embarrassing in a way, but also kind of delightful. Um, yeah. So anyway, charisma, it's, it's, it's a weird thing. Some people surely have it and some people don't like, uh, but by comparison, there's a guy who runs the cafe down the street and, um, he and I have talked about a, a ton of stuff. We, um, you know, uh, had a mutual friend die and went to the memorial service together. And that really, you know, 
we sort of bonded, you know, and and yeah, yeah exactly. And just I, right before we left on the cruise, we told him we were going on the cruise. He's like, "Oh my god, that's so great! I've always wanted to go on a cruise." And blah 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 blah. Uh, and he turned to introduce me to one of his friends. He's like, "Oh, I'm I'm sorry. What's your name again?" And I, I really was. I was like. We've known each other for years. I mean, it helps that his name is literally on the awning, but I'd still remember him the same way dozens of people remember him because he's actually pretty charismatic. But, um, you know, I I just I'm one of those people that which is fine. You know, God knows I've had plenty of time to get used to it. But it is kind of funny how that sort of stuff happens. You know, it's hilarious to me that you're like, but I'm not charismatic, Jeff. That's just not true. Oh, that's very kind of. But no, but it's 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 not okay. I, I, in in the experience of me and the other people I know who know you, mm-hmm. that's not true. Okay, let's, well, let's leave it at that. That that's very kind. I there I will say this: this is there's many ways in which Dungeons and Dragons have totally screwed me up as a human being. But one of the things I think is really interesting is when you're a kid and you're you're learning like Dungeons and Dragons, you know, and Graham, I know this is a sort of a semi blind spot for you, except I forget oh, you've read the rule books but you never no, played. No, it's it's, but... utter, it's utterly a blind spot for me. Yeah, okay. Like I know it exists. Right. Right. So, you know, big thing for me and a bunch of my other friends growing up, of course, cuz we grew up during that time where it was big. I mean, in part no small part because it was People were trying to ban it for being satanic and et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, so, you know, it's a role-playing game, and the idea is that you you literally roll up a character. You know, you have three dice, three six-sided dice, and you roll the dice, and you get a value between three and 18. Three is bad. 18 is awesome. And those are the stats that you roll up for your character in across, like, six different statistics like strength and intelligence and wisdom and constitution dexterity now when you're a kid you're like a 12 year old kid and you want to play like you know fantastic medieval adventures you totally get what strength is you totally get what constitution is and you totally get what dexterity is and why you want all those things and it explains it and it's like oh these are all amazing things to have in combat and then you you want them. And then additionally, the certain traits are better for certain um, character classes. So if you want to be a fighter, you want to be a thief, you know, they have different traits that are worth having. And if you want to be a sure. wizard, your intelligence has to be high. But there's a couple of stats and that make no sense to you when you're a kid, you know. And one of them is charisma. Like charisma is this stat that exists that, you know, the the guys who created Dungeons and Dragons, it, D&D grew out of tabletop gaming, of having these war encounters, you know, war games um, that started with historical simulations and then started moving into fantasy simulations because people are like, oh, man, how, how cool would it be for us to actually strategically play the battle of helm's deep and one of the things that emerged out of out of war games uh was this idea of the importance of leaders you know you couldn't really imagine this battle being fought without this general you know being decisive so they started using generals and historical figures as being sort of um, force multipliers for the units and then eventually they became getting their characteristics anyway all of which is to say 
these guys who were war gamers and generally, I mean, you know, not meaning to generalize, but a bunch of enormous fucking nerds out in Michigan or Wisconsin or whatever, you know, built this uh, idea of of who people were by breaking down these stats. And of course, when you're a leader of a military army, your quote unquote charisma is important, you know. Sure, but exactly. When when it gets to Dungeons and Dragons and it gets weirder, especially when it's – it might be different for college students where they have a sense of the – What charisma means. Yes, exactly, <laughs> as opposed to reading it out of a Dungeons & Dragons book and learning it for the first time. But so as a kid, I just remember people were like, you know, unless – once you got into the mid-teens and older teens and then you started having – guys who would have like would roll like a ridiculously high charisma and they're like oh okay i'm going to be a hot barbarian chick or whatever you know and then that just totally the sexual confusion and gender dynamics the the misunderstanding of gender dynamics that went on in garages across the country during the early 80s is just mind-boggling anyway and uh i i just one of the things that i thought was interesting for myself um to, to go on this pointless digression and then just to give everyone the extra big bonus of having it all be about me is uh, that I feel that to the extent that I have, you know, charisma is like an automatic thing. It's like if you've got an 18 charisma, people are drawn to you. They, you know, want to give you things. You're able to manipulate them into doing stuff they might not otherwise do or they might do or whatever, depending on what the hell the dungeon master's got up his sleeve. But um what I have found, at least for myself, is to the extent that I do have any charisma, it's kind of a slow burn. You know, it's like, sure, people who know me who are like, oh, Jeff, he's very charismatic. I'm like, it's kind of because you've known me for a long time and I've gotten into your good graces somehow, usually by trickery. And uh, and by contrast, I think the majority of people that I meet, I am amazingly forgettable, and that's fine. But if you get to know me a little bit, you're like, oh, he's affably eccentric. I will keep this person around, you know? And then eventually, at some point, they're like, oh, why did, why did I loan Jeff my car? That was the biggest mistake. That was the biggest mistake. So, in short, Graham, don't loan me your car. Welcome to Wade Watts, a comic book <laughs> podcast. <laughs> On the plus side, Jeff, I, I I say that with only love because it's been a month, more or less, yeah. since we did this. Yeah. And I kind of feel like this is like the ultimate wait what re-entry. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? Like we, like we 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 start back in and we're both like, ah, you know what, what's going on? And then we very quickly just detour into, you know, non-comic book <laughs> neurosis. <laughs> what's really funny is... um. I was convinced this was going to be the utterly non-comic book edition mm. because a I want to know all about your cruise. Oh yes, and I, unfortunately I have comic book related stuff with that too. Since but... you've been gone, yes, you might not have heard you were on this the seas. <laughs> it's but true. America's been to shit. I, there was this election. How did that turn out? I haven't heard of. I haven't. Um, I haven't really been paying attention. I figured it was I, fine because when I left, it was so clear Hillary Clinton's going to win. I was just like, has she announced her appointees yet? Because I haven't even really. I'll be honest. I haven't even checked the news. <laughs> yeah, right. Jeff, are you sitting down? <laughs> Oh, I saw this great tweet today that was, um, 
I just woke up from a coma and someone said, I said, how's 2016 been? And they went, well, it started with David Bowie dying. And I was like, well, it couldn't get any worse after that. (laughs) I'm impressed. I really am impressed at 2016's commitment to be like the worst fucking year in which like influenza is involved. Even fucking yesterday. Mm hmm. Uh, as we record, fucking Sharon Jones died. I know, I know. What the it's fuck? It's just is like it? what the what is happening? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, at least at least Leonard Cohen went when he was eighty-two. But the right. number Sharon of people, Jones, Sharon Jones was sixty. 60 and just, that's what I'm what saying. Beats cancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Beat cancer. Bowie's sixty-eight. Prince was what fifty-six, fifty-four. Like he wasn't Prince. even sixty. It's all just, this has been, this has been like the, the worst year. I mean, I know everyone's like, it's the worst, but this year has genuinely, oh, yeah. I was talking to someone this week and I was like, this year's just been exhausting. Like, it's just going to find out where I am just exhausted by everything. Everything. Well, which I think is amazing to me because uh, what really stuns me is just this idea of it's exhausting and because of the the way the election went, it it's not going to let up anytime soon at all, at all, at all, you know, like that's the thing that amazes me is, is well, so yeah. So I was on a boat or as my wife likes to correct me, I was on a ship, you know, during and the what's election. a ship if not just a very big boat. I don't, I don't know, but people get upset if you call they, a ship a boat. Yeah. it's. I, just, I, I know people who get upset about that as well, but like genuinely what's the difference? I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this is one of those things where, you know, Lucy Bellwood, you should like write her an email and she have her like yell at you for even asking. And, and at some point she'll tell you, maybe it's once you've got a sail, it's a ship. I, I don't know. Like once it's got like a quarters on it, it's a ship. I don't know. Anyway, it's a ship which I called a boat pretty much for the entire fucking thing, which annoyed I don't know if it necessarily it's great it didn't annoy Edie but it did annoy the shit out of me every time she corrected me which was about 300,000 times so um, so you know this ship we had TV which uh, when I say TV I really mean like a couple of channels that pre that played you know pre-programmed movies like usually just two movies over and over per day and then the next day it was a new couple of movies a channel which, and I think this was horrific, showed two episodes of The Love Boat per day, like the same two episodes <laughs> over and over and over again. And then the next day, it was another two episodes. And then, and this was the worst, because it was a 15-day cruise, after like eight days, they started repeating again. So it was like, no, I already saw this episode with Charo. Can't you even give me a different Charo episode? Jesus. Anyway, and a bunch of news channels on on a satellite TV feed, which, ironically enough, well, actually, it was fine for... Anyway, we didn't really watch the election until Election Day. We turned on the TV because we wanted to see how things were going. And the other sort of interesting fun fact is that um, since we had traveled to Hawaii, which is three hours behind California time, which means that it's sure, six, which hours six hours behind hours L.A. Behind. Yeah. So... Uh, although I take it back, considering the election happened, at, I think happened after daylight savings time or whatever. So we were like five hours behind. But still, the advantage to that is is that we were actually watching returns around 3 p.m. in the afternoon, 
and they started coming in and we're like, oh, huh, wow, that doesn't seem right. Well, you know, it's the rural states and um, small numbers and, you know, it's, it makes sense the things are going to be a little lopsided. But, yeah, Trump's starting kind of strong. Huh, interesting. Let's go get dinner. I'm sure we'll be fine when we come back. And then we come back and we're like, oh, uh, shit. Um, and that's that's when things started seeming like a little weird. And then I don't remember when it was. I think it was... It was a relatively short dose of time where Trump took like Florida, which I was yeah. like, ooh, and then Pennsylvania, which was just hanging there forever. And then I think he took Wisconsin and then Pennsylvania. And then it was like, oh, okay, we're kind of fucked now. And then that just really, that skid really sort of accelerated. And um, Edie, of course, was like very insistent. We had to watch to the end. And I was, I was, you know, uh, unless you're in like a, a super mega suite, which we certainly were not, cruise ship cabins are not especially big. Ours was actually really goddamn nice because we had like this ocean view and it was it was great, but it was still on the teeny side. And when you're stuck watching a little satellite TV connection on a dinky TV across, you know, fortunately, I say across the room, it wasn't very wide, but. It was like the most claustrophobic experience ever. You know, I was mm -hmm. really like at a certain point, I was just like, I have to get out and walk around because this is it, it's fascinating to me. And this has continued to to um, uh, come up since is this sustained feeling of helplessness, you know, yes. uh, yeah. that is just like. I, this can't be right. We've got to change this. What can we do? And it feels like there really isn't anything to be done. And this is interesting because the thing that I think is also amazing to, it's for me is, uh, oh, I should so to clean up, basically. So as everyone knows, um, although some people didn't find out for sure until the next morning, we were watching right up until basically uh, Podesta told everyone to go home. And just as I was getting ready to tell Edie, like, well, let's turn off the TV then. And we're not going to know. She's not going to concede tonight. And then, you know, of course, 20 minutes later, she conceded. And we were just in sh So we got we had the delightful experience of going to bed in shock um, and and, you know, having a horrible night's sleep <laughs> and waking up with full awareness that what had happened was not just a was a dream, you know, yeah, as opposed yeah. to those people who might have woken up, you know, and not known and kind of worried, but, you know, had to check. How about with you? What what happened? Did you guys? Like, so we, um, the short version is no, but we ended up sort of hosting an accidental party mm -hmm. um, the weekend before the election. Mm -hmm. Kate hurt her leg. Mm -hmm. So she couldn't really, sounds dramatic, say she couldn't really leave the house, but basically she was not incredibly mobile. Right. So we were like, well, just watch it ourselves. And then a couple of friends were like, can we come over and watch it? And we were like, sure, whatever. And we all, I think, like everyone, thought that Hillary was going to win. Mm -hmm. And spoilers, listeners, we all voted for Hillary. <laughs> that is true. So, I really should have led that in. I think anyone who listens to us. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a surprise. I'm, just, I'm yeah. just making it clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, however, and I think you know this. Like I get weirdly into elections, and this one was a was a really weird one because it made me nauseous. Mm -hmm. uh, I was simultaneously 
100% confident that Hillary was going to get it because how the fuck could Trump win? Mm-hmm. And physically nauseous at the idea that maybe he could, mm-hmm. right? So I'm listening to things like 538's podcast and everything, and they're like, there's a 35% chance Trump will get it. And they say, you know, to put this in perspective, Hillary's going to get it, but essentially Trump is a bad polling error away from from getting it. Mm-hmm. But I st- even knowing that, I was like, but but, but he's not. Mm-hmm. He's just not. Right. And one of the things that someone said to me was, or not said to me, said in one of these podcasts, was essentially, you'll know by Florida. Mm-hmm. You'll know how it goes. Mm-hmm. If Florida gets called early for Hillary, she's got it. If Florida's tight, it's going to be really tight. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I spend like the weirdly sort of telling myself that it's going to be okay while not really believing it. Mm-hmm. So we have people come over and Florida is, is super tight. Mm-hmm. We're super close because it's not been called yet. And the, the, friends who have come over are very anxious. I mean, yeah. exceptionally anxious. And we're watching, there's a we're watching the Trump just keep winning. Mm-hmm. For, for a long time, like before the, the any of the Hillary states came in, like Trump just kept winning and winning and winning and the state was get, the map was getting progressively you know, more red, more red, more red. Mm-hmm. And there comes a point where like, we all just realise that it's going to be amazingly close if not Trump wins. Mm-hmm. Right? And the friends actually say, can we put this off and watch something else? They're that anxious. They're like, we don't care what. Can we watch something funny? Can we just watch something funny on YouTube? Can we, can we just not watch this for a second? Because we're getting really anxious. So we watch like a British uh, game show for half an hour. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, we, we, should, we should tune back in. We, we should, we should see, see what they're saying. And what they were saying was just like, you know, oh, it's, it's, it's looking like it's going to be Trump now. And it genuinely felt like someone had died. Mm-hmm. It genuinely felt like, I don't know. I, I you know, I, I presume that you've had people close to you die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and at least in my experience, when people die, there really is the sense immediately of, well, this, this isn't right. Mm. Like not even a rejection, just like disbelief. Hmm. You know, like this, this, this can't be happening. This is actually unthinkable. Mm-hmm. This, this cannot be the case. And I had that. Like I really had this. Like this, this. There's no way. There's, there's no way this is happening. Mm-hmm. This, this is just no. It's not happening. And then that sort of turns to the that okay, thing's going to happen to turn it around. Like, it'll be miraculous, but something's going to happen. Right. But then I was just like, oh, God, I'm actually going through the fucking five stages of grief. Like, <laughs> this is really bad. Um, <laughs> the friends excuse themselves. The friends, like, have realized that it's really bad. And are basically like, we have to go home. <laughs> like, we have to go. And this is early still. Mm. This is, like, maybe 9.30. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's early enough. and, and But it's it's relatively clear at this point. Yeah the way it's going to go and we actually went to bed before it had been called and I woke up at like 3 o'clock in the morning and I was like I just have to check mm-hmm. like I, I know it'll have been called by now mm-hmm. I just have to check and I checked and I then laid there for like the rest of the fucking morning oh Jesus yeah 
Like, well, I can't sleep now. We're fucked. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Wednesday was, was, you made a comment on Twitter about like, it was weird not being on Twitter for this. Mm-hmm. Wednesday was just weird in general. Like I'm working and I'm working with other people I normally work with. And like, we're all like virtually checking in and everything. And everyone's just in shock. Mm-hmm. Like genuinely, like, I can't believe this has happened. And as this is going on, you're getting like the first reports of violence, you know, and, and you're, you're the first reports of protests as well. Mm-hmm. And I have this weird thing like, is this the new normal? Like, what is actually happening now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Thursday, I had a, a phoner for work. And I think I've, I've told a lot of people this story since. Um, when you do a phoner for work, and it's a phoner where the PR person like puts you in touch with the person you're interviewing, right. there's like a, a, a script that no one ever actually discusses or agrees to, but everyone knows it. Which is the PR person calls up and they're like, Hey, how are you? And you go, I'm great. How are you? I'm great. So and so is on the line. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's it. And it's literally just, it's literally pleasantries. It's literally, hi, so and so is on the line, but we're going to pretend that we're interested in each other beforehand. Yes. Okay? Right. And so the person calls up and she's like, Hey, how are you? And I was like, I'm okay. How are you? And she just, there's like dead air for a couple of seconds. And then she sighs and she goes, it's really rough, you know? And like, that's when you're like, oh, that's right. Like, I've, like, this is, this is really weird. This is weird in a way, like, I, I've been taken personally and, you know, my friends have been taken personally, but on some level you're like, sure, but of course we do. Do you know what I mean? Like, we live in fucking Portland. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, we're, you know, dumb lefties. Right. Okay. But when you, when that happened, that was the part where I was like, "Oh, every like this is this is bad for everyone." Mm-hmm. Well, it's yeah. not necessarily everyone, of course. This, this, I mean, yeah, this is yeah. bad for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things that sort of makes this for me so hard. Like, so, so just just this week, literally, my first day back is Wednesday, and. um of course, I I get back to work, walk in the door, and learn that there's a manager's meeting scheduled for like noon. So <laughs> I'm like, "What? Well, really?" You're being Jeff. <laughs> you know, I just like ah, and of course we're like we're a little short staffed because we've got some training going on, and I figured that I would, but I'm like, okay, this is I'll just go to this meeting for an hour. Of course, it's like three hours. It's a three hour meeting of. Because they always are, and I'd completely forgotten that part. But uh, in in the course of it, one of the things that they they say uh, that that they're talking about, which makes a lot of sense, is there's um, there's like an EAP program. Actually, I think the P stands for program, but it's employee assistance program, and it's a uh, it's one of those things that I'm I'm explaining to Graham because I don't know if he remembers what it's like to work at a company with you know as opposed hey. to for himself anymore. I know you have, and I don't, but I, of course, also frankly, knowing some of your work experience, it wouldn't surprise me. You know, anyway, this this is. It's one of those deals that, you know, companies that are big enough to get sued are careful to make sure that they have programs where, like, people who are depressed or people who are having troubles or might be getting into chemical dependency things, that there's a a helpline that they can call where they get free counseling and a certain number of free sessions to kind of help them, 
you know, that's anonymous unless it turns out, of course, that they say that they want to kill someone or themselves or whatever, however it happens. But generally, it's anonymous. And one of the things that the people leading the manager's meeting had said was, we want to um, have, the, we're going to have the, the EAP people come in because there are so many people at work who are freaked out who are genuinely upset and are having difficulty focusing on their jobs and are basically filled with, aren't sleeping or anxious are just, and we want to be able to provide counselors in case this is a thing that people want to talk about. And, um, I had this really weird thing because the, one of the things that, um, was interesting for me, uh, sorry, that's my weird phrase to start out all sorts of uncomfortable things these days, apparently, is when I came in that morning, I, a friend of mine got off the elevator, coworker, and she's somebody that I know who I used to have, you know, lunches with and what have you before jobs and family and whatever sort of took us in separate directions, know her, like her. And one of the things I know is she and her husband are actually relatively conservative um, you know, in sort of that weird way where they're probably are considered super liberal to their family back in the Midwest, but are actually uncomfortable with the amount of crazy, not just, it's not so much that they're upset by the liberalism of the Bay Area and also, you know, the firm in which we work, but, but, but as much the, just the simple assumption that everyone feels that way, that nobody sure. could be anything other than just, you know, crazily liberal. And, uh, she got off the elevator. And of course I'm like, I've been gone for vacation for two weeks. And, and I give her a big wave and she just kind of turns away from me and goes in the other door. And I kind of had that moment of like, Oh shit. Like it, it, it was this weird split of like, Oh my God, is she, is she completely racked up because Trump, one or I'm like, or is she like kind of weirdly alienated, you know, because she voted for Trump and Trump won. And for the last week, she's been dealing with people who are walking around kind of like just taking for granted that she is going to feel the same and being like, isn't this the worst thing ever? We should just like, you know, bomb whatever state or whatever. I don't know. I don't think anyone's saying that. For example. I was going to say, I really hope people aren't saying No, that. no. But I mean, who knows? You know, I mean, people are, it's, it's not like they, I don't know. Who knows? I was going to say, it's not like they would actually do it because, you know, because they wouldn't. But so, so we have this thing with the counselor is coming in and I raise my hand. I'm like, you know, because they announced they're going to be sending out the email saying this. And I'm like, you know, I just want to request that if possible, it could be phrased that it's for people who are concerned about the election and it's fallout. But in a, in a, in a way, you know, I'm like, could you put phrase it in a way that's like feelings of anxiety or alienation about the election so that maybe people who are actually feel alienated by their coworkers around them because they, they can't, they can't, you know what I mean? They're, they feel weirdly. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not, it's not just, yeah. Uh, it's not, you know, people who feel alienated by the red states. It's yes. that, yeah. you know, it, for many people i think everywhere i mean there really is a sense of alienation on both sides mm -hmm. because i'm not sure anyone other than like the crazy hardcore trump supporters uh are 
celebrating. Well, yeah, I I mean, I think that the crazy hardcore Trumps people are clearly openly celebrating. No, no, I, that, what that's I mean? what I'm like. Sure, yeah. they definitely are. But like you, I also know conservatives mm-hmm. who uh, who really did. I, I know conservatives who didn't vote for Trump. Yes, right. but I also know conservatives who did, mm-hmm. and they did so not because they like Trump, mm-hmm. but because they really disliked Hillary that much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they are much like the the, the Brexit, like post Brexit vote. Mm-hmm. Like they're having buyer's remorse right now in a way that I think they just didn't expect. Right. Right. You know, well, because I think I think I think on on both sides there was definitely a sense of he's not really going to do it. Well, yeah. First I mean, of all, first of all, he's not going to win. Right. And I think even people who voted for Trump kind of thought he wasn't going to win and did it as a protest vote. Um, but. If he did win, he's not really going to do all these crazy things. Right. And then you look at who he's proposing for all the positions and you're like, oh, it's, it could be worse. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in the sense of, could be worse. Hey ho. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the sense of, this could actually be worse than we were thinking. Yeah. 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 No, I think the, the aphorism that I saw trotted out, um, after the election almost immediately or even possibly during the results. Is, is that someone had said that there were the people, the, you know, the liberals took, uh, Trump literally, but not seriously. And there were people, the people who voted for Trump took him seriously, but not literally, you know? And, uh, I think that, I think that explains a certain segment of it. I, I also think there's a lot of people who, you know, are happy in the sense of like, they feel like some, they do feel like, Hey, you know what? Something's going to change. And they may not. Lots of things are going to change. Well, sure. But I mean, change in a way, I don't know how to describe this, but like, I think I, I, you know, one of the things that I, one of the articles I read before the election, uh, that really opened my eyes hugely was of course, at all places, crack.com where, uh, what's his name? The guy who writes under the name, David Wong, uh, wrote a piece and it's great how it starts off seeming like clickbait because it's something like, you know, three post-apocalyptic movies that make you understand why people are voting for Donald Trump. And, uh, it, it essentially starts with a very clever comparison to the hunger games and basically modern day America, uh, which makes a lot of sense for me. Cause one of the things I really dug when I read the hunger games, the, the books was how sort of cued in the author was to some of the schisms that, you know, could have, I didn't realize have happened so heavily in America as much as they have, but, you know, very much talking about the great swaths of America that have lost industry, have lost jobs, that have not seen the comeback in their economy the way that Many of us did when, you know, Obama's various stimulus plans kicked in. Sure, sure. You know, I, and, I, I was, yeah. Sorry, Nico. Oh, I was just going to say, and have seen that sort of more or less that kind of stasis stuck in and, and don't really believe that, you know, basically believe that classic, like, there's no real difference in terms of Democrats and Republicans in the sense of what they're doing 
for me and my family in this incredibly poor community that seems to have been forgotten and left behind and is also like more or less the butt of jokes on the rest of the media and coastal America and just this incredible sense of dispossession. Um, and it's, well, it's one a of the great things... article. It really is an amazing little piece. And uh, it, sorry. And I, and I'll wrap it up. I don't think other than that, other than like, hopefully I'll put a link in the show notes because if people haven't read it, I don't think it's really going to be that new or groundbreaking now in the, in the face of what we know, but I think it is also worth there. I think there are people who are so desperate that they're like, at least this is a change, you know? Well, um, well I, I, something I said to you, I think during, during the democratic primaries, even mm-hmm. is that Trump's message and Bernie's message had a lot of crossover. Yes. Because they, because they were both essentially, Politics, as usual, doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You are being forgotten by the politicians. That's right. I, I will, I will save you. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a really resonant message. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot else that goes into that. That is, you know, the world of difference between Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. Yes, yes, absolutely. But, but there definitely are some, right, right, who, who are at the point of. The system really doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Let's let's blow it up. Yeah. One of the things I was reading today was by Sarah. Oh God, I'm going to get her name wrong. Kresnor, I think, mm-hmm. um, who did a piece that was essentially uh, America is really going to change in the next four years in ways that you have no in ways that you don't understand. She's like, I have I have written about and studied authoritarian regimes mm-hmm. for for my entire career. And I, I say this, I do not say this lightly. Um, you are not going to recognize your country and you're not going to recognize yourself four years from now. Mm-hmm. And it's very important that you, you literally write down what you believe in now mm-hmm. so that you can basically refresh yourself mm-hmm. about this because you will need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things she says in the middle of the piece, which I thought was really interesting was she's talking about how politics had failed so many people mm-hmm. and she makes reference to like i i can't remember what state she lived in but it, it was one of the quote-unquote flyover states um and she said the uh, the financial collapse never ended here that you know despite what people say it never ended and that, that there there was no comeback and course in this situation People are going to gravitate towards anyone who says you're you're hurting, and I could change that. I, but the I can't get over it. I'm sure you're the same. That that as resonant as that message is, it came from someone like Donald Trump, and people are like, okay, then. Well. And this is the thing that's hard is, is that, I mean, we went through periods, there were, there were, I was certainly one of them who, when it was between Hillary and Bernie, um, you know, I, I gave a big chunk of money to Bernie's campaign. I mean, relatively small, but much larger than I'd given to any candidate before and dutifully retweeted and pointed out, you know, messages that were, um, like, hey, 
you know, here's the polls that show that Bernie does better against Trump than, than Hillary does. And that's what we should be paying attention to. And, you know, there's all kinds of other stuff that's gone on that, uh, the thing that I think is fascinating that worries me. And I also think seems somehow very essential is since the, since Trump being elected, at least what I see on Twitter is a struggle between what I've seen referred to elsewhere. And I think for lack of a better term is worth referring to the left and the liberals, you know, the idea of how do you, what do you, what do you focus on now? There's a lot of people who are incredibly angry and there's a lot of people who are, um, you know, incredibly angry at Trump. There's a lot of people who are angry at liberals, you know, oh, there's, that, there's everyone angry at yeah. everyone. There I is. think, I think if there's one thing you genuinely missed, mm-hmm. uh, not being on social media immediately after the election was everyone turning on everyone. Yeah, I guess I really did miss that. Although it hasn't really ended, but I can imagine it being. Oh, it's, at it's high. so much better now than it was. Yeah. It was staggering, mm-hmm. staggering seeing everyone blame everyone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everyone, no one wanted to be culpable. Yeah. And so, Every single theory under the sun was was brought out because everyone was like, well, no, it's your fault. Right. Right. Well, and on top of that, I think the, the problem for me is I've, I want to know there's this very important like kind of like what do I do next? And taking the social cues from other people is clearly a mess because – you get there's uh, that that turmoil is still going on. Like I'm like, should I be protesting before Trump takes office? I feel I should wait until after he takes office. And then I'll read two pieces from, you know, people saying, no, be civil. Other people saying, no, you know, demonstrate yeah, now being civil. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and a spectrum. I mean, as someone pointed out, like, well, no, there is, if you look anywhere in the internet at this point, you can find every single potential response. Yes. To the Trump presidency. Right. Everything. Yeah. We, from we should play along yeah. to we should set the white house on fire. Right. Right. And, and, but even somewhere in the middle is where things get really very confusing for me. Uh, by the time this podcast comes out, it would not surprise me if nobody remembers this and hopefully Graham was not having to see or deal with any of it. But I checked the internet last night, which was the night that Mike Pence went to go see <laughs> Hamilton, right? Oh, Hamilton. Yes. And, the re- That's the people are going to remember this when this goes live. This has been a big thing for the last day. Yeah, it well, it really has. But and what I thought was fascinating was, of course, all these people who are like, "Oh my God, this is oh, this is you know," people who are like, "Yes, good for them," booing him. Other people being like, "You know, no, that shouldn't have necessarily happened." To people being like, "This is amazing." What the Hamilton people, what the cast said at the note, which of course they said after it sounds like Pence had already left. I don't know if that's actually no, true he, he or was, not. He was still there. He oh, was thank still God. There. Okay. And um, and uh, there's uh, there was just, there was one other thing. Oh, you know, I retweeted something from James Lucas Jones, which was he'd had, he'd sent a thing, a troll uh, tweet saying like, 
A-plus trolling. They sent Pence to Hamilton so you'd rant, rant about that instead of calling your reps about stuff like this. And it was a link to an article on the Daily Beast about the GOP's anti-LGBT religious, anti-women religious freedom act, the the First Amendment Defense Act that they're calling it, that sounds like it's going to be like, you know, tried to push through really early on. And... um. Some, so I just retweeted that. I didn't add anything, but I just retweeted it because I thought it was a good point. And also at that point, I felt like the, my timeline was just filled with Hamilton references. And this was literally my first time reading about this. And somebody who I really respect and like that I follow on Twitter and follows me, someone I don't really know very well at all, like replied with like, hey, stop with the snark and get in here and help us. People can be doing both. You know, people can both be celebrating the, the, what happened at Hamilton and calling the representatives about this thing. And I, I just had that weird moment of like, oh shit, like, you know, nobody's, nobody's going to be able to do it right. You know what I mean? And that's the thing that's <laughs> going to be really strange is what's really creepily uncomfortable is the shit that Trump is doing is insanely chaotic as it seems like there's a lot of people who sounds like they are completely disorganized, are not necessarily well-grounded or even necessarily rational people, but it is starting to scarily look like they all have the same idea and the same agenda. And on our side of things, there's still just this massive amount of confusion and correction and that is you're the doing correction. it wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's the part that really gets me mm -hmm. because from my personal viewpoint, you look at what happened on the right wing and they don't like Trump, mm -hmm. but they came home to Trump mm -hmm. in the end. Mm -hmm. And because they, they decided like it's this or Hillary, mm -hmm. we'll come home. And I don't believe the left wing can do that. I think the at this point, I genuinely think they would rather fight about what is the perfect way forward, as opposed to what is what can we do? Because it just feels there is so much you're doing it wrong to everyone from everyone. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I I will work with the best case scenario. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I will do the imperfect thing that is useful. I do not have to be 100% right. Mm -hmm. And I honestly feel that so few people think like that now well, on the left. Yeah. That they would that want to be ideologically pure. Well, I don't even necessarily think it's ideologically pure, although it may be. I think that there is when you when you are someone who wants to do the right thing you can get very tangled in the a the belief that there's only one right way to do it you know and this is something that that i see play out in san francisco uh and the bay area all the time in fact one of the things that was interesting was people that we knew in berkeley who are people who how do i put it for lack of a better term live their lives with the belief that they're living their life the best way possible. And interestingly enough, although they don't necessarily see it, if there's anything that suggests that the way they're living their life is not the best way, they actually get really kind of skittish, nervous, and 
And they're not actively, they're not the type of people who are actively like, no, you're wrong. You know, like as we sometimes adorably see on, on social media, but instead are just like, kind of don't want to talk about it, want to push it under the rug, or weirdly enough, will kind of passively, aggressively push back in this weird thing of if if you've said something that you don't even realize is a challenge to the, their belief that they are right, you find yourself in these very strange conversations that you cannot understand what you're why you're having them. And I mean, this is about stuff that runs the gamut from like child raising to like fucking parking, you know? So Mm -hmm. when it gets to this level of something where I think it's really is important, like for those of us who want to do the right thing, but have not had an extensive history, uh, extensive history and political history classes at university, which I would say is the majority of us, there's a lot of confusion about how to do that. And what, what is tough is a lot of people who are like, there, there are ways in which the people who are doing the, you're doing it wrong, um, are, you know, the same people that existed on Twitter before the election. Uh, and the people who are obsessed with doing things the right way, who are, who are, exactly those people who were, you know, living in Berkeley and being very smug about their electric cars before the election to now being in this state of we have to do something and what we do next really matters. And it matters that we're right. Like for myself, I feel really weird about trying to, for example, quote unquote, steal the election back from Trump, you know, of like making this, huge sort of concentrated assault on the electoral college and being like, look, you guys, you can still save the country. If you do, if you just choose, do not vote for Trump. Just, you can, you don't have to. That's the whole point of the electoral college. You can completely go another way, go another way with this, please. And people being like, this is our chance. This is our way to do it. And me being like people who felt like the election was going to get stolen before, you know, yeah, who voted it's, for it's, Trump, it's you the know. weirdest. It's the weirdest thing. It's the weirdest thing to see the people who were making light of the idea of it's a rigged election. Yeah, uh, or this election is going to be stolen. Mm-hmm. Then, then say, were the elections rigged? Or, mm-hmm. well, the electoral college doesn't have to vote the way that the votes went. Right. You know, the rules don't apply here. And what's, and I say that as someone who both feels that the election was rigged to an extent. And like, I, I, I understand the precedent it sets, but I would be relieved if the electoral college went, you know what? No, let's go, let's go with Hillary. No, 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 no. Absolutely. Part of me is like, oh, sweet Jesus, that would totally nip everything in the bud. Except it really wouldn't. It really, I mean. It would would just, it would ultimately create chaos. But at the same time, I am at the point where I'm like, sure, but that chaos, I'm more okay with than the chaos that's currently facing us. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? And it's, but it's, I I agree with you. It, It really is one of these situations where you're like, it, there, there's, there is no normal now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Every, every thing you do in this usual adventure now leads to uncharted waters. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's true. And, and 
it's terrifying and it's exhausting to contemplate. And there's also this idea of like, okay, so what should I do? And unfortunately, there's the crazy cacophony. I, what I found fascinating, because like I did say when I came back and I got on Twitter, I'm like, hey, I'm looking back to – because I sort of figured everyone would already be in – hilarious hijinks mode you know everyone would be like well we're not taking this line down you know making lots of jokes but also kind of being that thing of like hey you know we all wanted our shot at being in paris in 68 like under the paving stones the (laughs) beach you know what i mean like here's your chance to to finally start not just organizing protests but like let's start organizing absurd protests let's start oh i I, really i don't think we're gonna get there no. Well, and that's the thing that's amazing is I was like, because from the time that the election is from the time that Trump won the election to the time I got off the boat and checked Twitter, it was like another four or five days. And I thought I really did think like, oh, OK, we'll have moved to that point. But I got on there and I'm like, no, everyone's just still shell shocked. And now that it's been, you know, almost a full week after that, I feel like. Everyone's still shell shocked and the and 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 again can only seem to work up enough energy to disagree with one another about what's the proper way to 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 handle this and uh, yeah exactly what's the proper way to process even yeah. it's not even the you know what we do next that people are disagreeing about it's literally how do you feel right now wrong mm-hmm mm-hmm which is just wacky yeah there were there was another thing you missed on social media and i'm i I, look at me i'm going to actually bring it back to comics for a second um people were talking about uh well the election was on tuesday Mm -hmm. so the way the next day was a wednesday and you know people were just a fucking disaster yeah but other people were like you can buy my comic it's out today I'm just getting attacked. Yeah. Like attacked for it. Yeah. Like yeah. utterly attacked. No. Um and it was it was wacky because on the one hand, you're like no, come on. Really? No. But but that, that you know this is not the time for that has like continued for a week and a half later and you still have people be like, I don't feel like I can promote my work anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, which is just, it's, it's so strange. It's, uh, I was, I think I've told this story before in the podcast. Um, I was in America for 9-11, but I came to America the next week. Oof. Um, a week after. Oof. I want to say eight days. Wow. Um, and, and that was a really, strange experience because because the country was in shock mm-hmm. the country was like in shock in a way that he'd never experienced before mm-hmm. uh coming from another country where you you thought you had a handle on what was happening because you're watching the news you're mm-hmm. reading the internet mm-hmm. like you think it's going on and then you step into it was so disorienting Mm-hmm. And this feels like that. Yeah, the number of comparisons I made, and I've been worried about it because for myself on the West Coast, 
people in the East Coast have had a very dramatically different reaction to 9-11. I mean, this is a huge generalization, but, but for the, I feel in my personal experience, although me and everyone I know were kind of gobsmacked on the West Coast, we sort of, different things happened. We moved on. We processed it in different ways. It makes sense because in some cases, for some of us, there was more distance. For others of us, you know, who were transplants or had family back there or whatever, it was yeah. not, you know. But it was it was a, it was a profoundly disorienting experience. And one of the things I've, I have felt uncomfortable saying, because, again, it's not because there are – because this was – an election and there are people who voted for Trump who, like I said, have done so for reasons that run a gamut. And again, their responses run a gamut, but there are those people who might finally be feeling some hope about some very hopeless situations that they've been in. Um, You know, but for me and a lot of the people that I know, and this is probably not going to be surprising, this election has felt is the closest thing I've felt to 9-11. You know, in terms of the shock and the horror and also the kind of dread. I mean, I remember when 9-11 happened, I was like, oh, please, God, please, please, please don't let us turn into a fascistic warmongering state. Please, 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 please. You know, and of course, we just fucking just charged right into it, you know, and I was like, oh, God, no. And. And I, and this has that same, for me, fear and that same sort of helplessness of like, oh shit, this is going to get, uh, back in 9-11, weirdly, I had more hope, you know, because yeah, I, I was going to say, thing. this feels more, yeah, uh, the future feels scarier to me now than it did in 9-11. Yeah, yeah, because to me, because I, you yeah. look at the people who are getting mm-hmm. put in positions of power yeah. and it's just, it's just utterly terrifying. It doesn't doesn't it feel to tie bring it back to comics in perhaps the worst possible way? Doesn't it feel kind of like a fucked up episode of Super Friends or something like that? Like <laughs> I I could I can promise you right now I have not thought that at all. Cause, oh, can I can I take a like a detour for a second? Something that another thing you missed on social media was people getting really upset with other people for seeing what is happening through the lens of popular culture. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, which I totally and get. There was a lot yeah. of that, right? Yeah. Yes. I, the thing that I loved more than anything was seeing especially comic fans do it mm-hmm. and then betray that they are the worst sort of nerds because you'd literally see people in like the space of like five tweets go, look at those nerds. Shut up. It's not Dumbledore's army. It's more like the anti-life equation. <laughs> 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 You're the worst. Yeah, no, and see, this is it. I, for myself, when I make this comparison, I'm hoping it's mostly for comical effect. But, I, but, but the fact is, our brains, when something happens that we do not have space for, I think my worry is again, like, yeah, like the Dumbledore's army, or like, oh, it's like Frodo. I saw the article. I don't remember where it popped up, but it was actually quite a good piece talking about like the. How it's really better it those knowing those situations rather than genuine historical precedents is not going to help us. Like knowing the end of the Lord of the Rings and comparing it to that is not especially helpful. I get it, but
but I'm also not saying it in any sort of like, oh, I'm inspiring us now to like rally the trees. True. <laughs> exactly. When I say it's like Super Friends, I'm not like, meanwhile, the Hall of Justice. At the Hall of Justice. I just mean like there's episodes, like there's that weird cartoon logic. It's just cart, it's genuine fucking cartooning what has happened with Trump. Like, like imagine, like I'm not talking about the DC comics version where Lex Luthor is elected president and he's like standing there in the, you know, white house being like, well, Superman looks like you work for me. I'm talking about like when Lex Luthor somehow gets elected president on like some episode of challenge of the super friends, because he had like, you know, the scarecrows fear Ray hypnotize everyone into voting for him. And then the super friends are all standing around being like, well, there's nothing we can do with that. And then, and then Luthor goes on to like elect his cabinet and, He's like, okay, and now that's why I'm making Secretary of State Joker. You know, that weird position where all the other supervillains get cabinet positions seems like such a, like, like honest to God, when I read that, that Trump was talking about making Sarah Palin, which it's, the talks were seriously happening that Sarah Palin might be Secretary of the Interior, I was like, are you fucking shitting me? Like, it really was. Like, no, it, it, it is. is I mean, the it's penguin ridiculous. going to be Secretary of Treasury now? Like, it's Right. Just... No, but it is. It, it's a point where you're like, wait, so let me get this straight. The guy who couldn't become a federal judge in the 1980s because he was too racist is now going to be the, the attorney general. Yeah. Be the attorney like, general. Like, how, how does that actually happen? Yeah. Genuinely, how does that – if this was – many people have said this. If this was fiction, it would be laughed at. Yeah, yeah. It gen- we have, we have passed beyond parody with what's happening, which is just we were laughing at it back when it was parody. I remember when Sarah Palin was speaking, was like saying pro Trump stuff, and and the thing that was so laughable about it was just this idea that is like, wow, she really thinks she's going to hitch her wagon to that star, ha ha ha. And now it's like. Whole, like that insane, like, oh, holy shit, it worked. I mean, it would be one thing if Trump was like, oh, yeah, hey, thanks very much. Like, I really appreciate it. I've got to thank my good friend Sarah Palin. Like, I'm sending her, uh, uh, you know, a case of Trump steaks. But the fact yeah, that he was like, exactly. sure, yeah, uh, you know, you supported me. You probably helped me out a lot. Secretary of the Interior, like, you know, you, you, the, the you know, alt-right slash white supremacist guy. I'm really thinking that you're the person that I want in charge of. It's just insane. It's, it, I mean, insane in this weird, like, it, seem, it seems like when you read it in a comic book and you're like, it follows a, a nightmarish dream logic that also is so cartoonish you kind of have to laugh. It's like, oh, yeah, right. Ha, ha, ha. Cheetah gets made into Secretary of the Interior. And, you know, it's just this whole thing of the Justice League being like, well, what the fuck do we do? I don't know. And then fortunately it turns out that, like, the Wonder Twins are able to turn, like, you know, Gleek is able to carry a bucket of water that's actually fucking Xan, and they, like, pour it on, like, the Scarecrow's fear machine, so it goes into reverse, and then, you know, it turns out well because the Electoral College haven't voted, or, you know what I mean? Like, it just, it's one of those weird last-minute reversos that makes no sense, and you realize, like, but we don't even have that. That's not even really coming, you know? No, but here's the thing. Imagine in a crazy world that the Electoral College does go with Clinton, which I think we can all agree is not going to happen. It's but imagine happen. it does. Right. Okay? Can you even imagine what it would feel like to have come this close? 
to what looks like it's going to happen. I because what I worry about is no one would learn any lessons. Well, of course not. No, I mean, Do you know what I mean? Everyone would be yeah. like, "Phew, that was a close call." I and oh, I it yeah. just no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, the, back back when it looked like Hillary was going to win this thing. I know that there were other people I was reading and I was thinking the same thing of like, what the fuck happens in 2020 when you get someone who is not as much of a dipshit as Trump, but is willing to be who's in other words, the groundwork that Trump has laid that shows that like, oh, if you, you can play that, you can play up the racism angle much, much harder than you thought. Like you can go in a lot of these directions. You can lower the bar. A lot more. So many things are now in play that we never thought were in play. Exactly. I mean, like, you can genuinely just show up and be like, hey, have you ever looked at them? They don't look like you. Yeah. Isn't that scary? Yeah. And previously, everyone, like, asterisk 99.9% of people, would go, come now. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, why why would they do that now? It doesn't matter. You've you've like it wins elections. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I do think that there's going to be a lot of stuff. I mean, this is this is. I feel like there's a lot of chickens coming to roost here. You know, unfortunately, there's been a huge chunk of America that circled the wagons that is not looked or reached out to the other area that let the media not cover those things. Uh, the state of, of affairs in the Midwest, in, in the Midwest across fucking, I say the Midwest, fucking rural California. You know, I can get in my car now and drive a hundred miles to the east and be in a situation that the town that I grew up in is riddled with people with meth heads, you know, where Humboldt County, where I grew up is like the number is the number one county in, in California for death by alcoholism and death by suicide and death by vehicular accident and death by you know, depression, like the list goes on and on and on because it's been economically depressed now for decades. And your choices were basically grow up or try and, you know, get the fuck out of there, you know, or stay there and I don't know, good luck, you know, and, and that's, that has been going on for a, a, like a long, long time. And at a certain point, not everyone can move out of those areas. And I mean, it's, it's ridiculous that, that you know, I, it's not surprising to me that you see the shit that went on, that, that the water crisis in Flint, Michigan is still going on. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, I'm sure those people were like, I'll vote for anything that'll make a rapid change, you know. So I I do wish part of me was like, you know, that we were all sitting here going, oh, holy fuck, we elected Bernie Sanders and now everyone's taxes is going or is going up by like 35% because that's the only way we're going to be able to pay for free healthcare and free college for everyone. Like, you know, part of me be like, okay, that's a painful hangover, but one that I feel a little safer about other than like, I'm 50 fucking years old, man. Do I take on the role of like, you know, Czechoslovakian libertine? Like, am I supposed to start like, 
throwing orgies in our apartment and be like smoking cigarettes and being like, ah, the decadence, it is the only way, huh? After the fall of their revolutionary ethics, all we can do is uh, foment revolution and the only thing that matters are genitals. You know, like, I don't know if I don't I don't even want to be that guy. I mean, it's kind of fun to do the voice. But I was going to say, really, you don't want to be like that? Well, really? I, I know that my wife would not be down with that in any way or fashion. But, yeah, you know, I, I do remember reading Milan Kundera books being like, huh, I wonder if our country would ever get to this point, And if it did, what role I would be playing in this? You know what I mean? And let's face it. I'm going to be the guy who ends up getting kicked to death over a potato. I'm well aware of it. I, I like to pretend otherwise, but it's, it's, but it's good to know where you belong. Yeah, it's true. I've, I, the great thing is I've already started, like, I'm, I'm now spending, you know, 10 to 15 minutes in the kitchen clutching potatoes or other, like, tuber-like things so that I've got a good grip on them. Cause apparently that's, you know, that's important when you're being kicked to death is you still hold on to the potato that you're trying to bring home to your starving wife. So. Yeah, it's it's a blast. It's a gas. Hey, Graham, I've got comic books to talk about. I've got cruise stories. Jeff, what comics have you read? Yeah. Okay, tell me your cruise stories. Come on. Okay. I have to send you this picture first because one of the things that was amazing to me on the cruise. Like a visual element to this podcast? I have to tell you because I was gonna send it to you before, but the thing is is Graham is knowing you, you would then give away the story. Like before I was ready to tell it, you'd be like Listeners, what you don't know is Jeff has just sent me the most amazing photo of someone he was on the cruise with, and I did not believe him, but oh my god, he's Oh my god, Jeff, who are you on the cruise with? I, about a week into the cruise, I was lying by the pool, and I was going to get up and go get another slice of pizza from the little pizzeria. I think perhaps I've been watching some trifle on the big screen jumbotron monitor over the pool, uh, like inside out or something. And a guy came out of the set of elevators and I looked at him. He was with his wife and I did a double take because even though I've never seen this person apart from photos, I've never seen them in person. I was like, holy fucking shit. I'm on the cruise with Brian fucking Bendis. And I was, I was like, I was like, that could not be true. Graham, check your email, check your, check your email. Now I've sent you the photo. Cause what happened was I found a photo. This this is incredibly frustrating. I have, I have no email. I have no email from you right now. Oh, here it is. It's coming. Yep. This is very exciting. You apparently sent me an email saying a photo was, Oh no, wait, holy shit. If that's not Brian Michael Bendis, it looks very like him. It looks, he's a dead fucking ringer for Brian Michael Bendis. I'm like, I'm on a cruise with Brian Bendis. Are you fucking kidding me? Because God, I, I mean, that really, really, really looks like Brian Michael Bendis, Jeff. It is I a mean, stunner. It is a stunner. I was like, holy, oh no. No, but no. it might not be him. Yeah. You know what? It's not him because, and this is the you, thing. You talked to him? Did you ask? I heard him speak. Oh, you're, you're like, yeah. This is the thing, Graham. I don't know. Maybe you know this or maybe I'm wrong, but like cruising, which is, I'm not referring to the, the, the William Friedkin movie starring Al Pacino, which had memorable moments in it, but rather instead 
the act of going on cruises as a form of vacation and recreation. Cruising is, as far as I can tell, really popular with the Brits. Like, there was a significant... I, I actually can see that. Sadly. ...number of Brits on this cruise. So when this guy spoke with some sort of northern accent, I was like, oh. That, that, that also totally makes sense. I could totally believe he's from Manchester or something. Yeah, exactly. I think he is from Manchester. And, and like, you'll see that, like, um, there's, like, a tattoo on his, like, hand, in the back of his mm -hmm. hand. So, yeah, when he spoke, and it was funny that you mentioned Brexit because the day after the election on the cruise, it's, like, Edie and I are 50. We're, like, among the youngest people on the boat. There's, like... A few kids we almost never saw. There's a few people in their, like, maybe 20s, early 30s who are having a birthday or whatever. But honestly, the people who looked younger than us, when I, the few that I spoke to, were actually just people who were healthy and fit. But, you know, maybe not nearly as old as we were by, like, two years or something. Like, I talked to this one couple who were um, – we went uh, – ziplining <laughs> together on this island and after talking to them i was like oh yeah so you guys are you're like what 32 34 they were like 48 and i was like oh god anyway the majority of people older than us and um and what's interesting is is you're on a cruise people in other words people for the most part have learned to be discreet so the day after the election there weren't people running around like with the red caps on, shooting their hats and running, trying to hang the Confederate flag over the pool or anything like that. Um, you didn't hear anyone response about the election at all. But if you were sitting at dining tables or lunch tables and you had your ears open, you heard people talking about it with their companion. Um, so all of which is to say, on one of the very last days, we were having breakfast in the dining room and uh, we ended up sitting with a bunch of other people including a very lovely couple from Manchester who were sort of talking about, uh, weirdly enough, their house, like, because they were talking about San Francisco and how lovely it was, but how expensive it was and where we lived and, oh, how did we actually manage to live in San Francisco? And, oh, my gosh. Their to be fair, you, you think that yourself on a regular basis. Oh, no, no, I'm no judging at all, in fact. And, but what was interesting was I made mention to Brexit because uh, they were like, oh, the election, uh, that, that was, ooh, crikey. You know, they didn't say crikey. But, you know, they, they were like, that was <laughs> exactly. I, We were sitting with people from Manchester who had come from the school of Dick Van Dyke. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, I was like, yeah, it was kind of like Brexit. And, and this woman said, oh, I, we voted for Brexit. And I was like, oh, oh, did you? And Graham, I have to tell you, there was no buyer's remorse in this couple. I mean, admittedly, they were on a cruise, so maybe it makes sense. But they were like... Oh, yeah, no, I think it's just, you know, it was time we wanted to be able to have the ability to, you know, have our country, like, make its own decisions again. And I just had that moment of, like, uh, I was like, ah. Uh, <laughs> uh, no. You're like, ah, uh, that's really good. Yeah, I, I was kind of like, oh, hmm, you know, uh, my reading of the internets tell me you are in for some really rude surprises. And I don't even know if you guys have even seen all this trade agreement stuff. It's kind of fucked up anyway. So yeah, that was, that was quite a thing, Graham. I have to say, uh, where was I? Oh, anyway. So a lot of Brits, a lot of some Brits, at least a couple who very happily voted for Brexit and were, were very happy to tell us. And, uh, and a guy who looked 
like I said, astoundingly like Brian Michael Bendis until he spoke to his it's, wife. At our but it's so funny because I look at him and I'm like, he does, and yet he doesn't. Like, there's something about him where you're like, he looks like Brian Michael Bendis' bizarro clone. See, I haven't seen Bendis enough apart from just photos. I'm like, and and the photos that I've seen of Brian Bendis, who looks like... It looks like... No, it looks like Brian Michael Bendis if Brian Michael Bendis was melted slightly. There's just something that's so close to him, but just not. It's the uncanny valley of Bendis. <laughs> Where you really are like, oh shit, it's Bendis. It is. And the more you stare at it, you're like, but is it? Yeah, but is like, it? And were the other, like were the other photos really good? Mm-hmm. And this one isn't. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's that weird, like, what I, if you'd said it was Bendis, I'd be like, oh wow. But, what? I also firmly, like, I also completely believe it's not Bendis. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get it. But I yeah, because yeah, I had the on, same thing. I had on that first glance. You really like, you really are like, oh shit, that's Bendis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was like, oh my god. I mean, that's that's a very Bendisy. It's yeah. it, more than anything. It's a very Bendisy expression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, I, think that's I, can quite, I quite believe he doesn't look like Bendis, but there's something about that photo and that face. Yeah, where. You totally believe he's like Civil War Two is really good, you guys. <laughs> exactly. I I am really proud of what I've done here. Yeah. No. It it, it is. It's very. Uh, so that was that was a moment. That was like probably my best comics moment. And I was. I can't tell you. The weird part is again. I had this huge sense of relief when he spoke and the Brit accent, the Manchester accent, came out. And I can't even tell you why. You know what I mean? Because I think. <laughs> I think probably well, because I didn't have thing. to start thinking of obsessing about it. Yeah, could you imagine having been the Cruises Ben just having had to make small talk with him for two weeks? Well, see, this is it. Like, at, what, at what point would you have said, actually, I think you've really been letting yourself go in recent years? Well, I, I mean, and this, this, this is the weirdo thing. I forget. Have you... I mean, I don't mean to tell tales that were meant to be left off the podcast, but I think hasn't Bendis been in your comic book store before, Graham? While well, you're in it, oh yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, I, I've been in, yeah. Okay, so I, so, so that's that kind of you've been in that space with someone before, where it's kind of like, oh, I'm right next to Kablank, and and there's that weird like, Jesus Christ, I really don't want to. You know, like, let me get out of here. But for whatever reason, I had this weird thing at, like, day five of the cruise where I'm going to be on here for another ten days. I'm like, oh, shit. If it's Brian Bendis, kind of – I have that weird, like, my choices, like, my world radically changes. You exactly. Know I mean? Do I stay in the room for the next ten days? Right. Because that, that's honestly what I would have thought because when I was in the store with Bendis, right. I honestly was, how quickly can I get out of here and can I do it without talking in case he somehow recognizes my voice? Right, 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 which makes sense, which makes sense because you're you. I don't really have those worries, whereas the opposite that I had was kind of this weird, like, there was this weird, like, okay, my options are try talking to Brian Bendis, um... Two, completely stock Brian Bendis so I can see everything that he does on the cruise. And then this is the part that's hard. Not tell anyone but Graham and or maybe the podcast, but I shouldn't tell the podcast because technically it's not cool. You know, or lock myself in the room and or somehow try and forget that I'm on a cruise with Brian Bendis. Because it is a little bit, I don't know, I, I think I told you, like, just recently, like, within the last two years, I had the opportunity 
to do a line of cocaine off a copy of Fantastic Four number one. I told you this, right? Yes. Okay. And you, I didn't you do it. have shared this amazing story. Okay. Thank God. On I, the podcast. I, I, Actually, okay. I'm not sure if you shared it on the podcast. I think you might have just told me. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Yeah, I, definitely I know, know I told, I'm so glad I, I definitely was like, I know I told Graham, but I wasn't sure if it was on the podcast or not. So it's my fancy way of being like listeners. So afterwards, I kind of had this thing of like, I can't believe I didn't do the line of blow off the FF number one, you know, because it's that thing of like, I've never done cocaine before. I do not actively want to do cocaine, but there is a little bit of the really, Jeff, you a comic fan, you turn this down like this idea of like, really, Jeff, <laughs> you recognize Brian Bendis on day five of a of a 15 day cruise and then you didn't say a single fucking word to him and or try and find out what kind of fucking breakfast cereal he eats. Really? You know, and so the massive relief of like, oh, I don't even have to worry about this. I can go back to doing all the stupid bullshit that I'm looking forward to doing was amazing. One of the stupid bullshit things that I did, Graham, is I read 103 comic books on this cruise. And congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And three and a half novels. I'm still not finished with the fourth fucking novel because it's it's kind of going on. A while so okay well this is what i have to ask was were any of the novels alan Moore's jerusalem they were not although i i, I, I feel kind of disappointed about that have you read it. jerusalem no no i started jerusalem i got i got about uh seven pages into jerusalem i was relieved to find out that those first seven pages were nothing like the first seven pages of voice of the fire and then which are unreadable uh i made it through the first chapter I think I told you. Oh, I, 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 I think Voice of the Fire actually starts in a way that's like, I'm going to punish you for wanting to read this book. Kind of. And I was like, okay. And I made it through the first chapter. And then there was the second chapter, which might be the, like, it's, you know, I am a severed head narrating this. I'm like, oh, fucking shit. You know, like, I was just like, oh, it's not going to end. You know? And I have to admit, <laughs> I am one of those guys. I mean, the book will end, but the amount of punishment, it's not like... You know, 15, 16 pages and you get into it. It's like, oh, hey, okay, you're in the club now, you know. And by contrast, Jerusalem is the first seven pages, eight pages are relatively sedate. I just I just had a weird kind of – I was like, I'll have to come back to this later. Cause what, well, let, let, let's be honest. If you're going on vacation – you right. probably don't want to read the 1,000-plus page book by that's, Alan Moore. That's the kind of thing. I was kind of like, you know what I want to do? I want to read a lot of little short, puffy stuff. So for novels, I read uh, the book 10% uh, – novels. The books that I read were – two of them were actually nonfiction. Um, two and a half, I should say. Because I, I read uh, 10% Happier, which is uh, the book that came out about meditation that was written by the guy, I didn't know this, who's like the weekend host of Good Morning America. Um, what's his name? Dan Harris, I want to say. Uh, okay. Is that right? Dan? I, I don't know. Dan I, Harris. I, yeah, you don't have to. Anyway, I, I read it because, of course, as you know, I've been into the mindfulness thing. I'd seen a video of his that was sort of a promo video that was animated where I was like, oh, I feel like this guy's got a really good slash similar handle on mindfulness slash meditation. I should read this book. And the book is interesting because it is about how he comes around to meditation and mindfulness. Uh, but it's kind of like a stealth memoir. So... I'm like reading this book being like, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing if he can give me some tips about like the best way to be able to let go of this and that, or if I should really spend as much time worrying about like, um, 
uh, uh, what's it called? Um, compassionate, uh, mindfulness or whatever. And instead I'm like, huh, there's a shit ton more about Peter Jennings here than I ever thought I was going to find out. Um, <laughs> so weird, but at least it went quickly. The other nonfiction book, uh, well, there's, again, there's three. I started, uh, Trouble Boys, which is a book that ironically enough, I found out reading, uh, found out about by reading the New Yorker profile on Tim Kaine, Hillary Clinton's vice presidential pick, because Kaine was like, yeah, I'm a huge fan of this band, The Replacements. And I'm like, oh shit, I too am a big fan of The Replacements. If they finally have written a, you know, well-researched tell-all, I want to read it. So I bought it like two days before the cruise. And Graham, I don't know. This is the thing I have to tell you. I'm curious about because you are old enough to remember life before the Internet, at least in theory. And um, in more than theory, Jack, <laughs> when do you think the Internet came about? No, it's it's more like when did you start retaining memories for some of us? You know, four, <laughs> three, people like me, it's around 15, 16, so I don't know. You know, you might have you might have missed that window. I guess what I meant to say is, did you, have you read, like, rock music biographies? Yeah. I'm sure you have, because you're into music, right? And yeah, I don't know yeah, about I've, you. Yeah, I've read a bunch. I, I have always, I, I've read several of them. They're almost always the same fucking book. You know, it's kind of the books that I always end up reading. The best one that I ever remember that I remember reading was a book that was written about the kinks. And it was great because I was at friend's house over a long weekend. I don't remember why we were hanging out, but he had a lot of drama going on with a girlfriend or something. So I had a lot of time to hang out in his apartment while I fought on the phone with his girlfriend and he had to buy, he was reading a book that had been written about the kinks. And I was like, I will, I will read cause he loved the kinks. I was like, huh, I wonder what it's like. And it's one of those, like, I mean, it's a music biography. I found it fascinating and it probably helped that I didn't really know the kinks and or care much. Sure. Because so, so you can like just enjoy it as a story. I mean, yes. I mean, that's, I mean, that's like saying that you enjoy watching pornography for the plot. You know what I mean? Cause there is no real story in music biographies. There's like the merest pretense I, for I it. I kind of feel like you're reading the, the wrong ones. In that case. I probably am. Cause, cause I, what I have found is when I read music biographies, they usually are, um, 20% quote unquote tell all where you, you know, it's, it's 20% a linear history of the band consisting of 30 to 40% of absurdly obsessive details uh, about how each track or at least certain tracks were recorded, you know, with a soup song uh, of here's how the people were in the studio and of course the inevitable and here's where things started to go wrong. And one of the things that bums me out about the books that I've read, and admittedly it's not a large selection, but inevitably the person that you think is a genius is an unbelievable turd to other people. Yes. yes. And how that, I think what bothers me, what bothered me particularly about trouble boys, which it is not a surprise. If you know anything about the replacements, that that Paul Westerberg was going to be 
kind of a big turd to everyone. That was part of the the myth. But just A, how relentless it was. B, how desperate and calculating it was. And in that regard, it was interesting to me how much it reminded me of reading about Kurt Cobain in whatever the early Kurt Co- is come as you are, I think. And how much it reminded me of the portrait of Bob Dylan in, uh, I think it's Positively Fourth Street and some other book, probably back to the Kinks book, you know, where I was like, oh, okay, sure, Paul Westerberg's going to be a shit. And it's this amazingly detailed and like replete with stories about how shitty he was to various people and how shitty other members of the band were. And, but, but there's never any sort of point of, I think, and this is the part that I guess bothers me is, is that even if they have access and this guy clearly had a lot of access to Paul Westerberg, uh, in the telling of this story, perhaps because of that, there is this, um, weird sort of, um, uh, disconnect. What's that thing where people talk about when they're, when they just disassociation, there's this disassociation okay. that, that happens both narratively and, and on the part of the author where they're just telling these things as if they're happening from a great distance to strangers, even though they're being recounted by people in the room and you might get the occasional. Yeah. I was very shocked to see Paul act like that. You know what I mean? Like that comment, you can just take out the proper noun. And that is basically a comment that every person can say, you know, along with the A&R people who are like, oh, sure, we were concerned, but we were convinced that blank and blank were geniuses. You know, again, it's this, it, in other words, kind of like porn, it's kind of the same thing over and over and over again. And you sort of find yourself, it, if you're like me, being like, why am I watching this? What am I trying to get out of this? What is the, and I think there's some concept of trying to understand what makes this person brilliant that somehow swerves into this realm of what made anyone put up with this person in the first place, you know, and neither of those stories, the number of times in which that never gets answered, um, and instead disappears into technical details. How can it get answered? You know, I agree. I, like, I, 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 it's, it's an impossible question. Sure, sure. As, as I was finding out, I was like, what really would have made me happier here? What could have happened that would have made me get to some whatever I'm trying to get out of this, you know? And, uh, so that was that, so that was, and it went on forever. I mean, that book is, it's amazing. Again, it's like, it's like 400 pages, 420 pages. And what I thought was like, cause I was hoping was, I know vaguely the outline of the story of the replacements, but my hope was that it was going to cover all the time after the band broke up and what happened to those people. And instead it goes on for obsessive length and it has a couple of good anecdotes, a lot of mind numbing details about record, the deals that were made or who wrote what or how it was recorded or the frustrations with which producer, or which A&R guy had to like, you know, fall on the sword after so-and-so pushed them on it, you know, and, uh, and, and then when it got to the end of things, it was just like, huh, really? So 400 pages. And then the, the last 16 years, of course, goes by in about 30 pages. And it's just exactly like, that. <laughs> what God, what was I reading the other day that, that was really, uh, the other week rather, that was just like that. Um, 
I can't remember. It was, it was like another of those oral history of something amazing things. Mm-hmm. And you want to know the recent stuff. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the recent stuff is like covered in, you know, 10 pages at the end where they're like, and then what's happened in the last 20 years is blah, blah, blah. And you're like, really? Yeah. Like yeah. you, you covered five years over 400 pages and then 20 years over five. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which on the one hand sort of, Again, people would be like, well, that's the point of the book. Like, the period at which the person is at their most important or essential is this. But, and I mean, it's just, also part of me is like, there's, there just shouldn't be, I mean, I can, this person was just way, way, way too much up Westerberg's butt, which is, of course, another that's problem. problem when you have, yeah. yeah, when you have fans write the material. Sure, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I I remember there's a blur biography uh, that I read like around 2000 or something, mm-hmm. uh, and it's one of those things where it's written by someone who is a fan but also a friend of the band, mm-hmm. and they're just they're the worst. Yeah, right. Because you have like annoying asides mm-hmm. that are like, and then there are all these secret tracks that they never released, but they're the best things they've ever recorded. And they really prove their genius. And you're like, well, that's just bullshit. Right. Because you're like, you're humble bragging. And also you're making these claims that will never be backed up. Yeah. Like they're can't you're be geniusly proven by this thing that no one will ever hear. Yeah. And you're like, sure. Sounds great for you. But, you know, that's just bullshit. Yes. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. So it's, it, it's, ah, uh, it's frust. It's really very frustrating. So it was it was amazing to find myself in that situation where I was like, ah, really? You're not even gonna go into detail about the uh, okay, fucking fine. So I mean, if you could distill all the anecdotes down to about like I don't know, like sixty pages, it would have been great. But at four hundred, tough. Um, the book that I'm still not finished with is, which is somewhat similar, is uh, Barbarian Days which I don't know if you've heard about. It's by, I want to say William Finnegan. It's definitely Finnegan, but uh, he's a dude who this book got crazily acclaimed and it's his memoirs of basically a surfing life. And it's pretty goddamn, it started off really goddamn interesting um, as watching a guy who starts surfing like back when he's like 14 and it's the early to mid sixties. And, and then, clearly very intelligent, very smart, and then, you know, leaves college and his first job to basically travel around the world surfing and the pursuit of surfing the quote-unquote perfect wave, although he puts it that way, he's just obsessed with surfing and the people he travels with and the stories. And he writes very well about surfing, and some of his prose is great and some parts are funny, but it also has gotten to that part where I'm like... Ah, Jesus, real life. What is the point? You know, I really am having this thing of like, give me fiction. I was clearly, I don't know why I felt like I was going to read. I really thought I was going to read more fiction than I did, but I had this stupid I, laziness that was like, eh, nonfiction will be easier. And I, these things have been very well reviewed. And I mean, I mean, cause people really did fall out of their chairs for barbarian days. And who knows? I, again, it's just, I mean, I know part of it's just I'm a slow reader. You would have finished this up in about four hours. But again, it's like almost 500 pages. I He's finally got he's in San Francisco and 
you know, finally moved back to the United States and has a, I think he's got a job. Maybe he's just, maybe he's moved into his full-time writer phase, but he's also surfing ocean beach and it's 1983. And I'm like, Oh Jesus. Like, exactly. You've got 33 years to go. I know exactly. I'm like, I can't even imagine. I'm just starting to break down under the weight of the descriptions of all the surf. Even when it's great, I'm finding myself being like, ah, Jesus, another mushy wave. Okay. I will never try and surf Canberra or whatever the Australian town that he was just in, Kira. I don't know. Whatever. Just let me die now. And then in between all that, I read uh, Nick Mamatas's I Am Providence, which is a murder mystery set at a Lovecraft convention and <laughs> is uh, like a lot of... Uh, I, I don't know if you remember. I might have talked about... He also wrote I Am the Law, which I think probably... It's all about Judge Dredd. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, love is the law. Sorry, love is the law. So it's which actually, is all about the seahorses. It is. That's that's far too much of a ripoff reference, isn't it? That's that's going to leave like at least half <laughs> the people listening to this podcast completely confused. Love is the law is the first single of the seahorses, the uh, post Stone Roses band of John Squire, the uh, guitarist of uh, Stone Roses. Yes, uh, and no, they... the seahorses is an anagram of I hate roses. Oh, uh, as, or I hate the roses. I can't remember which was uh, much commented no on at the time. In it is there the seahorses? There's no. Why would there be a why in the seahorses? I hate the roses. I I hate I hate the roses, but it's called the seahorses, right? There's no I in the seahorses, is there? You're totally right. Hate the roses, and I can't remember. <laughs> There was some hate the roses like anagram that people were really really upset about. That's all I remember. Anyway, uh, Jay Edidin from Jay and Miles Explain the X Men was an editor at Dark Horse who commissioned the work from Nick, and so he was the editor on the book uh, when it was written. And uh, Love Is the Law is a murder mystery set in Providence, Rhode. Wait, Providence, Rhode Island? No, it's set in. Well, Maybe it is Providence. No, it's set in Long Island. Shit, my memory. Anyway, teenage Satanist in the 80s tries to solve a murder, and it's terrific. It's That's really I, Love is the Law is, is to me, a, is a Lovecraft. much more satisfying book to me. Okay. Uh, and then um, I Am Providence, which is ambitious as hell and has some exquisite writing. I mean, Nick, Nick Mamatas is... is, is an astoundingly good writer, but he, you know, sort of is transitioned from horror fiction to writing uh, mystery fiction with these, you know, with a twist. Uh, and I just, I just wasn't necessarily as happy with the book. The book is a very clever um, sort of twist on that Agatha Christie, like someone gets killed at a hotel and all the guests are suspects and an amateur sleuth tries to solve it. But it has an ambivalence about the genre that kind of, I'm sure many people who are maybe already sick of that genre would find winning. But I myself was kind of like, uh, it's a good book to read before or after reading a book about the replacements because it's so clever and kind of self-defeating at the same time. But, um, but I, but I'm actually really excited to read some of his other stuff. So even though I, even though 
it was it was the best of the books that I read on the cruise. But at the same time, I was like, eh, it's not even the the best Nick Mamatas novel that I've read. Wait, wait. But tell me about these 103 comics, not individually. We don't have time for that. No, we do. But tell right. me the best of what you're what you're reading. Uh, well, uh, there were there were batches of things. Now, what helps is is that when I that I'm in some ways cheating. So, for example, uh, 25 approximately uh, comics. 25 of those hundred comics were the comics contained in Machine Man, the complete collection, Volume One. So what? Yeah. Wait. What Wait. What? I didn't even know that was out. I knew it was coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the one that it's all Kirby. It's it's like I, well, and Dicko is the Kirby Dicko stuff, yeah, right? Exactly. With with the little with the Hulk three parter that transitions between the two. So yeah, uh, oh, yes. Uh, that's really a. Gr- I d- I did not know that was out. Yeah. Oh, August sixteenth apparently has been out for ages. Yeah, yeah, that's that's an awesome read. Yeah, it really was incredibly enjoyable. And I have to say, one of the things that I thought was fascinating is later, around comic number 75, I sat down and finally read all of uh, The Vision by, um, God, I've got to look Tom up the... Tom King and uh, Gabriel Walter. Thank you. I was like, Gabriel, I'm like, shit, I'm blocking on his last name. So I was going to look it up. And, and that was... Really, I'd read the first five issues of the Vision, so I reread those as I I read it all through in a wonder and and loved a lot of it. I thought that was actually in, really really well done. Um, and what was fascinating to me was how much uh, King's hook for the Vision, which is essentially a robot who is going to make himself into a regular person, into to have a human life, uh, almost no matter what the cost and the tragedy that results from that seems like a real extension of the stuff that Kirby is trying to do in machine man or hints at, as you've pointed out, the idea that, that machine man is super insistent that he's the most normal person in the room. Uh, even though is he? And, and interestingly enough, there's a whole other thing that I won't bother you with, but anyway, Tremendously enjoyable. I also read uh, The Vision. That was great. Fury, My War Gone By. Uh, I heard a lot of good stuff about that, so I read all 13 issues of that, and that was Jesus. What, I think that uh, what, was, is, who, what is that? Is that uh, Jason Aaron? No, Fury, My War Gone By is um, Garth Ennis, and uh, I'm going to get the – I, I want to say it's – Oh, it's Goran. It's Goran Por- Porlov. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, great, really, really strong. It's, it's actually one of Ennis's, I think, more focused pieces. It's one of the strongest things I think I've, I've read by him in a while. Um, and I say that as someone who was kind of blown away by the boys and kind of left, I thought it would be just kind of his, his take on, um, you know, basically more of his war stories filtered through Nick Fury, but it's very yeah. much, um, unsurprisingly his take on essentially the American military industrial complex post world war two as seen and with, with Fury coming to more or less epitomize it. And, uh, like, 
it's has a series of arcs, each one in a different military era and each one being progressively more brutal. Uh, and I mean, brutal in the sense of kind of emotionally brutal. And he does, mm-hmm. and this does a great job of taking the characters, the, the supporting characters that start off in the fifties and moving them through time. And, and it's, it's, it's amazingly good. It's a very strong novelistic approach to things. It's, it's like I said, I was incredibly satisfied with it. Finally got around to reading the Flintstones and I thought that, that is an amazing book. And I thought the war issue of Flintstones, I don't remember if that's issue. I think that's issue three. five. Uh, five is politics. I think four is marriage and I think three is war. Oh, that, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I'm mixed up because five is also it is the politics one, but it's also the one with Barney's origin, which ties in with the war. Yeah, sorry. When I say war, yeah. I guess I mean it's the alien invasion one. So I I yeah, screwed yeah. you up. Yeah, issue three, which is the alien Asian invasion one, is was stunning. I thought it was just completely stunning. In- Isn't it kind of amazing that they're like this is a Flintstones book? It is. It really is. I mean, there's shit in there that just knocked me on my ass. And it's interesting because I finally, I was like, oh, well, I've got the Prez trade. I will turn around and read that. And I like Prez, but I actually think that uh, perhaps unsurprisingly in terms of experience and getting your chops, like Mark Russell, the writer, really starts kicking some serious ass. Um the layering of jokes that happen in the later issues of the Flintstones are kind of amazing because he gets, it's staggering to me that that comic is still going. Do you know what I mean? Like it just feels like a comic that, that was made to get canceled six issues in. Well, it was also kind of a comic that sort of seemed impossible that it would be good. So the fact that it is good, that it's really funny in a way that, is, isn't even necessarily like, oh, I'm building a joke off of the, the distance and the difference between here's the Flintstones and, you know, as we remember them and here's my take on them. So for example, that, that alien invasion one, which ends up with the great Gadzook or whatever, uh, at the end, that's sort of a little capper, but the whole story about the other war veteran who's contemplating suicide and is actually on hold for the veteran suicide hotline. And then this alien invasion breaks out and he finds his, uh, uh, raison d'etre. And then, oh my God, what happens to oh, that character you, and yeah, how it's, you delivered. can read the Flintstones having never seen the cartoon. Yeah. And it is still one of the funniest, smartest things around. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I think is really stunning to me is, is the level of stuff at which I'm like, oh yeah, that and the, um, the marriage issue were just, I love the, the marriage issue is so perfect. Yeah. It's amazingly well done with some of the payoff stuff in that, um, shit that I read that was not so good. Batman the Cult. That's not going to surprise anyone. Why were you reading Batman the Cult? I, I, I wanted to read some like old school Batman stuff. So I read Batman the Cult and I followed it up with 10 Nights of the Beast from Batman 417 through 420, which 
that shit holds up. Batman the Colt, which I oh, remember Batman. reading the first issue of back in the whenever it came out and thinking like, this is shit. And then rereading it and being like, oh, man, this is such this shit. This is shit. <laughs> it's, but it's kind of great how insane it is in its shittiness. Weirdly enough, I read the six issues of Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles right off of that because I bought the trade for like stupid cheap during one of the Batman sales. And I, I really say, enjoyed that comic. Really surprisingly enjoyable. I was like, right? this is good. Like, this is, this is, I mean, I know that you're more in the tank for James Tyrion 4 than I am. So I, but, no, but it's I was, just, it's just fun. Actually, that's one of the comics that put me in the tank for James Tyrion 4. I, I get it. I get it. Because that one really did. I was like, this is among some of the best stuff that he's done. That's very strong. Uh, I read a bunch of, Defenders issues. I didn't get all the way through it, but um, I started reading the Six Fingered Hand trade, uh, uh, which was enjoyable. I read Kill Them All by Kyle Starks because uh, I backed the his Patreon, so I had had the book sitting around in on digital format for a while, and I finally got to sit down and read it. I I liked Sex Castle better, but Kill Them All has some great stuff to it. Uh, I read I read the five issues of um, the five issues that I had in digital of uh, Tim Nahisi Coates's Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Kind of left me cold, frankly. Um, that book is one that is where like one of the issues I thought was really strong, and the rest of the issues I thought were kind of not really my sauce. You know, um, uh, what else? Did I, so. That's kind of the, that's the general overview. Like once you get through a a lot of those, there's, I'll leave out the stuff that I didn't think was so great. I reread Captain America's Bicentennial Battles and that was fascinating. Um, And I should have brought it up back when we were talking about the election because I read it right around then and had some weird thoughts running through my head. But I I can only imagine. Yeah. So, uh, and yourself, Graham, you know, it's been a while. You probably. Yeah. We have, we have run relatively long. So I'm going to rush through a bunch of stuff. Okay. I got in a real Walt Simonson phase for a bit. Mm -hmm. And so I read, uh, the first collection of Ragnarok, his, his IDW series. Uh huh. uh, And paired that with Star Slammers, the complete collection. Wow. Uh, so I was I was in the tank for uh, Creator and Simonson, and I read Ragnarok in single issues for the first two issues, and it left me super cold. Mm-hmm. And I loved it in the collection. Mm. And I'm not sure if it's because there's a bunch, and it's not even that. Like I want to say the collection's only five issues, mm-hmm. uh, but it worked so much better in ways that I the things that I thought I was missing from Ragnarok are are very present. I just wasn't picking them up. Uh, because one of the things I like most about Simonson is that he consistently undermines his own epicness. Mm. Uh, so you have like Beta Ray Bill, for example, you know, mm-hmm. who's, who's, he's making fun of his own cosmic epic and cosmic grandeur. And I thought Ragnarok was just cosmic grandeur. And I was really missing the, the down to earth element. And it's totally there. It's just that for some reason I didn't pick up on it in the first couple of issues. Mm. I very much enjoyed both. Uh, of the two, I think Ragnarok is actually better than Star Slammers. Mm-hmm. Star Slammers feels very much of its eras. So it's the graphic novel from the 80s and then the miniseries from the 90s. Mm-hmm. And the 90s miniseries in particular just feels a little rough, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, visually, in both cases, just stunning. It's kind of amazing that Simonson has not missed a step. 
You know, it, it, his stuff is still, still just great. There's stuff he's doing in Ragnarok that you're just like, I wish other people could pick up this ball and run with it. Because <laughs> he's, he's just, he's very individual still. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what else did I read? I reread all of Robert Venditti's Green Lantern mm-hmm. just because literally I could. I got them out of the library and I was like, I'm going to reread these seven trades. Uh, uh, you know what I read that was great that I got mailed to me and wasn't expecting at all? I didn't even know it was out yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we told you so. Oh, Spurt- yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Finally. Wow. Uh-huh. Right? It's great. It's really good, Jeff. You will love it. If it's something that you were considering, you should definitely pick it up. Oh yeah, I mean, I can't imagine a book it that's is, more in my wheelhouse. It is as much as as much as anything else. It is pretty much the history of the comics journal. Mm-hmm. Al- almost more than it is the history of graphics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of that is fun because you get like, because I keep forgetting how much of a fucking nerd Gary Groth was. Yes, <laughs> like before he was, you know, purposeful anti-elite nerd. Mm-hmm. He he was a fucking nerd, like astoundingly so, yeah. and that book really brings it back, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's really good. It's really in depth. They've got sort of uh, side articles uh, along with the oral history. They've got like side articles about like the Michael Fleischer lawsuits mm-hmm. uh, about like the relationship with Harlan Ellison, uh, you know, about Kirby, and and it's it feels. It feels like a nice, fully rounded story, hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's done very well. It's designed very well. It's it's a very very enjoyable book. Um, I've recently been rereading early two thousand eight D stuff. Mm-hmm. So a lot of early dread, a lot of uh, early Strontium Dog. Mm-hmm. And where I do that, the more I like Strontium Dog is just like one of these perfect pop comics. Like it has such a great immediate hook. And can go anywhere in the way that, like, the good 2080 stories can. Mm-hmm. You can. Do drama, or you can do tragedy, or you can do really broad comedy, and none of it breaks the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was actually doing that because, like, you will have been unplugged from from almost everything for a while, but you saw that 2080 and Rebellion basically bought the Fleetway Back catalog. Yeah, I think well, that happened before I left, and I was kind of excited about uh, it. Yeah. So they've announced they've announced that they're publishing One Eye Jack next year. Hmm. Do you know what One Eye Jack is? It's pre two thousand eight John Wagner doing Dirty Harry. Oh wow! Oh, I'm all over that. That should be right. Yeah. So it's like it's like super dense pages. Like the pages have like fifteen panels a page, hmm. and the, the chapters are like three pages long. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's and it's literally a New York cop who's trigger happy and has a, a, an eye patch. That's the <laughs> gimmick of the comic. Yeah, right. And it's enough. Like I remember those comics, and they were so good. And I was like, oh, I'm in the mood for reading some John Wagner Strontium Dog, um, <laughs> which is great. Also, um, I reread all the Mega City Undercover collections because the third one's out. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, which is the low life collections, Rob Williams stuff, of for the undercover judges, right? Um, which leads into dreads, later dreads, more recent dread stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, I'm trying to think where you are in dread. The most recent stuff you've read? Oh, it's way, way, way in the rearview mirror. Like, um, it's got to be like three or four years old, right? Remember oh, when yeah. it was like it was the that 
that amazing dread story that kind of blew us both away. That was the, um, uh, what the, the, basically the equivalent of the Snowden stuff. Right. Where, where. Well, I'm trying to think what one that was. You're, is that, are you thinking of the, the cold deck, the one that was the crossover of the two other strips? No, or are no, you no. thinking, uh, are you thinking of Titan? No, no, no. There's cold deck. No, there's no, Titan. Yeah. And then you are, you're thinking of the one that's like literally the Snowden stuff. The, the, yeah. Um, so, but you've read Titan, right? Yes. I read Titan, but not the follow up to Titan. Uh, and I enjoyed it, but there was also a level of, um, dreadness that I had yet to achieve so that some of the stuff quite went, went by me that you had. Well, that's what I was going to say. So, so the Mega City Undercover volume three completes the character arc that leads into Titan. Ah, okay. So, like, if you read those three things, like, literally you finish and you're like, oh, I should read Titan now. Right. I want to know, like, I know where Amy goes because I've read, I've read the later part of the story already. Mm-hmm. But I want to read it now that I've read all this stuff. Right. Um, and it just, it holds together amazingly well. For a series of stories that took, I think it's like eight years from start to finish. Wow. On and off, it holds together amazingly well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've been, I, you know, I've been reading the, like the, the, uh, DC comps that they send and things like that, but the, it's been, it's been the other stuff that's been sticking out. Do you know what I mean? It's been, you know, I'm reading Walt Simonson doing absolutely batshit Norse mythology. Like the, the whole setup of Ragnarok is Thor is actually dead. Right. Like he's a zombie. <laughs> he has no jaw anymore, <laughs> but he's still Thor. <laughs> and he's wondering, he's basically like, what has happened? What is actually going on now? <laughs> um, oh, you know what? I, because it's been so long, um, and I said this on Twitter a lot. Just after the election, a lot of people were talking about like hopeful stories and and things that were giving them, you know, you know, hope and excitement and optimism. Um, the third issue of Doom Patrol, the the Jared Wade Doom Patrol, mm. um, is the most obvious connection to the Grant Morrison stuff yet. Mm-hmm. It's what happened to Danny after the Grant Morrison series. Mm. And also the origin of Casey, mm-hmm. the view character for the new series. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I loved it when I first read it, which mm-hmm. was the day before the election. And then I read it the day after the election, and it was like a fucking gut punch, Jeff. Mm. Um, because Danny is, or was, um, the op. Like a, an incredibly optimistic concept. Oh yeah, Danny is Danny is the 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 place that comes to get you when the world rejects you, mm-hmm. and Danny is the place that accepts you. Mm-hmm. And Way has done something with Danny in this series, and the way that Danny connects with Casey, that real I mean, it really did feel like a gut punch when I read it after the election. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to spoil it. Mm-hmm. But um, you'll have seen, or you might not have, I've changed my Twitter avatar, which I did the day after the election, <laughs> which is a panel from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's Casey saying it's time to fight back. It's time to join the Doom Patrol. Mm. And that very much ties in with like the, the what is going on in the story. Mm-hmm. But, oh God, I can't even find the panel. But the, the, the panel, like two panels before that, is essentially Danny saying to Casey, you're going to feel uncomfortable, but it's okay. I'm here for you. Wow. And you're like, there's something about that that 
honestly, it's like, that's exactly what I want to read in my fiction right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I didn't mention it because, of course, I've read some comics since getting back, and one of them was the first two issues of Cave Carson Has a Cybernetic Eye, which I, would be fun to talk about in another... Uh... Tom's the only backup, Jeff. Oh, Jesus. Well, that's why that's why it, I, I had made it. in particular. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Holy issues. fucking shit. You know, it's so funny. I don't think... I, issue one... Is, I read them back to back, and so the first issue of Superpowers knocked me on my fucking ass. I'm trying to think how why the second issue didn't hit me as strongly in that regard cuz it's I mean other than just the absolute amazing density of Sioli's storytelling, but it's why did it hit you, why did issue why did the second issue of superpowers hit you so strong? Um if you don't mind me asking cuz I'm maybe I'm Mr. missing it's something. It's the Mr. Obvious. Miracle. It's the one Mr. Miracle bit at the bottom of the Oh yeah yeah yeah. That is actually brilliant. Yeah, for sure. Which is just genius. Yeah. Like it's it's just um like, retooling the concept in like this wonderfully um subtle, smart, incredibly fitting, incredibly true to Kirby way. Yeah. Like it's one of the few things that you can imagine someone doing that is so Outside of what Kirby had done with the character, yes, but in keeping with Kirby's absolutely idea of of everything, yeah, like it is such a Kirby idea. Mm-hmm. And I remember I, I just saw it and I was like, of course, like that's that's fucking genius. And you know, even before you get there, you've got like Captain Marvel Junior crucified under the Rock of Eternity, and, yeah, and like mm-hmm. all the you know, all that cosmic stuff. Mm-hmm. And like he can't escape even when he's Freddy, and you know you've got all that. But then to go from that to oh, and the shit Brown. with Flipper Dipper, I take it back. That yeah, first page, the first of those three the pages, page, yeah, the first page is just stunning. absolutely insane. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It absolutely is. It's it's like watching someone take uh, a DC, you know, like Morrison's Infinite Crisis, and squeeze it onto one page. You know, and, and what I love stunning. about his superpowers is he gets Kirby in a way that few others do. Mm-hmm. And he's taking superpowers the way that I take superpowers, which is it's not the toys. It's not the cartoon. It's the Kirby comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he just he's like, OK, I'm running with it. I'm using the Kirby characters and I'm using other Kirby characters and I'm folding it all in. Yeah. No, and it's, you're like, this yeah. is fucking two pages of comic and it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's it's staggering. I think it's three, isn't it? It's each one has been three pages. I, I, I want to say issue, the second issue is two, but I could be wrong. I think I think there's a third issue. I think there's a third page on there, but I, I also could be wrong. But it is. Uh, it is. It. It. They're both brilliant, and it's fabulous seeing Cioli take his crazed hyper chops from Transformers vs. GI Joe and and apply it to this stuff and doing some brilliant stuff even the stuff with the Wonder Twins is amazing like that stuff right is, and and, yeah. and what he's doing with that yeah 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 is is crazy and amazing yeah it's it's kind of it knocked me out i was actually surprised how much i like the um forward story too the story in front it helps that i'm i i i was like oh my god i haven't read anything with um art by Michael Avon I mean in like forever and he's such a good storyteller you know the visual storytelling on it just is fabulous there's some great stuff in there too that's 
that almost seems like crazily casual, like in that first issue, that double page spread where Cave Carson sort of leaves work and comes back in his car and ends up like in his like subterranean lair, sort of depressedly drinking. And, and the pathway of him throughout the page is that's just crazily good. Man, there's some I'm, stuff. Uh, I like the mechanics of of Oming. Mm-hmm. There's something about his finish that just turns me off. Oh, really? Huh? Yeah, I, I and I don't know what it is because like there's there's stuff on in that second issue that is just so good in terms of layout. Yeah, like the stuff he does with the 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 cars at, towards yes. the end. Mm-hmm. I just I, it's just so good. Mm-hmm. But there's something about his his finish and in particular the way he draws people that it just leaves me cold. Mm. It's funny, I don't that I don't have that because of course I read a lot of power stuff and honestly I don't know it's so funny because I know what you're saying and I feel like I I got over that hurdle like after 10 or 15 issues or something like that you know now I just kind of see it as is part of who he is and also helps his stuff well I don't know anyway I can see that though let's put it that way and leave it at that um Graham McMillan it's uh, Jeff Lester. We've we've gone two hours. It it might be time to wrap it up. I think I think I think it should. I think it should because um, we have some things to figure out after, as soon as this is we, done. Yes, we like, we have we have uh, stuff that you guys don't hear. Yeah, which is right. <laughs> which which sounds much more exciting than it actually is. It's yeah. literally scheduling stuff. Yeah. but still, <laughs> I, I appreciate your candor in that particular case, Graham. <laughs> For people who think like, oh shit, they're hiding the real gossip for us. No, this is literally like, oh shit, are we doing it next week? But it's Thanksgiving. But and then what about Christmas? And oh Christ. So what about Christmas, Jeff? Yeah, indeed. Do they know it's Christmas time, Graham? I'm not going to. I was going to start just quoting the song. I'm not. Instead, <laughs> we'll say, hey, what nuts? We're fucking everywhere on the internet. If by everywhere you mean Twitter, where we're at Wait What Podcast. Tumblr, where we're with whatpods.tumblr.com. Even though I haven't updated all week, I'm really sorry. It's been a ridiculous week. I will be better at that now. Uh, we're also at whatpodcast.com. Jeff is on Twitter himself as at Lizzie Bassett, at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I'm on Twitter myself as at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. We are also a Patreon supported podcast you can find mm-hmm. us at patreon.com forward slash wait podcast and when i say the magic word patreon jeff can't help himself he I, has to say i really do i have to say yes patreon where there is a wonderful group of people who make this all possible uh things such as our baxter building podcast where we are reading the first 416 issues of the fantastic four and is directly a result of the support of dozens and dozens of fine people, including the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, to whom we are especially grateful uh, for their continuing support, as well as in Empress Audrey's um, case, not crushing us in her mighty cosmic pop. So, thank you. It's always, it's always handy to not be crushed in the cosmic pop. Um, Jeff, I think it's safe to say that we probably will be back next week. I think that's it. I think, I think until you hear otherwise, uh, 
whatnots. We're going to be back next week, and I think maybe with another wait what, and then maybe yeah, and then building, them, and then them decide when we're yeah. doing the Baxter buildings again. <laughs> it's you guys. We're heading into the holidays, and we kind of flipped the order of things around because we did two Baxter buildings really close to each other because we were doing stuff in advance. Yeah, it got weird. Yeah. Um, but we're going to be back next week with another Wade Bot, and then we'll decide what to do after that. Yes. Until then, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone on the spectrum in between, thank you for listening, and bye! Music. Music to my ears. <laughs> <laughs>